Today's episode of Pop Culture Reference is brought to you by the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee Professional Cinema Society, an organization dedicated to bringing the film community at UWM together. If you want more information, our next semester meeting times have yet to be determined. We will be sure to update you guys about when we're going to be meeting. If you're interested, visit us on Facebook. Now, on with the show. Coming to you live from Redacted for Spoilers, (laughs) this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm Seamus Connolly. I'm Garrett Strother. And I'm the the last Skywalker. Oh, goodness, we're getting into it already. We have one quick bit of news, but before we even get into that, we want to talk about what's coming up on the podcast. Next Sunday, we're going to be off with possible hiatus extending to the Sunday after that as we figure out the logistics of recording when we are all in different places over the holiday break. We will be updating you on Twitter, Instagram, about what's going to go on with the podcast from now on, but watch your subscription feeds, but we're definitely going to be taking a hiatus the Sunday after Christmas. We'll be coming back in hot with the season finale of Mandalorian, that's for sure. That's what I'm excited about. Yes, it will be... Very fun, so stay tuned. Don't think that we've completely disappeared off the airwaves. We're just taking a brief hiatus for Christmas. Yeah, for news, uh, well, we all got to enjoy an opening night screener of Rise of the Skywalker. But Rise of the Skywalker. What did I say? That's what you said, the Rise of the Skywalker. Oh, because that's what I wanted it to be called for very specific <laughs> reasons. But in our in our... 45-minute trailer and promo bump intro before that movie, we got to get our IMAX sneak peek of Chris Nolan's new film, Tenet. It was the six-and-a-half-minute prologue, implying that that's the very opening of the movie. They did similar things uh, where they did preview showings in IMAX screenings for The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Both of the intros to those movies were played in IMAX at movies a few months before those respective films came out. I think Interstellar did a similar sneak peek in IMAX. So I thought this was a really compelling and interesting trailer tactic. I think Nolan's good at it, and it's kind of a signature of his at this point. I'm excited to see him tackling something a little bit seemingly more grounded at first glance that's a little bit more of a return to something that's not superhero movies or highbrow sci-fi. I mean, watching it, I still got incredible Inception vibes from it, but it seems like there's no suitcase that connects people's dreamscapes, you know? it's it's Not yet. Well, yeah, we haven't seen it until it, you know, turns out that it's the secret sequel to Inception, but it seems like it's getting a little more, like you said, grounded, but still in, like, a espionage, weird... It seems like there's a lot more than what we're getting picked up for, but I definitely appreciated how... Because, like, I don't even know if there's an actual trailer for it, but having just seen the first... the the prologue or whatever, I think that's that's a genius way to get me to go see this movie. There is a trailer for it that is different than what we saw. I didn't get the chance to see it. I understand that it's screening in its place before other Rise of Skywalker screenings. Okay, sure. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And the main guy is John David Washington, who is Denzel Washington's son. He was the lead in Black Klansman, which is absolutely fantastic if you guys have not seen it. I have not, but I need to to keep rounding out my Adam Driver list of movies here. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really excited to see this 
young actor take on more stuff. He was great in Black Klansman, and I think he's going to be a really good Nolan lead. It also has Elizabeth Debicki, who seems to fit right in in a Nolan movie. She was on this show called The Night Manager with Tom Hiddleston and Hugh Laurie. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that last week's episode, too, I think. It's very good, that show. And she's also the golden lady from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, okay, <laughs> sure. That's I, I know exactly who you're talking about now. Yeah. So I really like that actor, and I am excited to see her in bigger things. Ricardo, do you have any thoughts on the Tenet prologue? Just that I'm hooked. Just I had no idea what was going on at any point in that little prologue. It's Nolan. I'm going to be there just because it's going to be weird, interesting. At the very least, it's going to be something I've never seen before. We'll get a great new Hans Zimmer uh, score, and it'll Aww. be like... Yeah, exactly. We'll get some more good, classic-y stuff like that, and it's going to be wild. There's going to be an ending that's open for interpretation, guaranteed, but, I mean, I'm never disappointed when Nolan does one of those because it seemed... He's kind of mastered that a little bit, in, in my mind. It comes out in July, or at least it's expected in July, so... If we're not too busy in summer movie season, it wouldn't surprise me if we ended up covering it for an episode. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I mean, I like I'm I'm with Ricardo. I'm I'm hooked from the prologue. I don't need to see any kind of story trailer explaining anything past what I've seen. It's gonna be confusing and intricate, but ultimately, I already know it's gonna be fantastic. Let us know if you guys want us to preview some Christopher Nolan movies leading up to Tenet. Ooh, we could do fun. Christopher Nolan month. We could. Inception, the Dark Knight trilogy, the Prestige, Interstellar, the Prestige, or Interstellar. There's a good many Nolans that I have yet to see, but I I I wouldn't mind tackling a couple of those for the show. If you guys are interested, let us know. Tweet us at PCR underscore podcast or email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Now, let's move on to our main segment. It finally happened, boys. (laughs) Episode nine, the End of Star Wars. Yep, no more Star Wars. Never again. Stay tuned for The Mandalorian later in the show, (laughs) but for now, absolutely no more. At least Skywalker Saga, or I want to jump into spoilers almost already, because I have opinions on that title of this saga now. I think it's going to be hard to talk about this movie without talking about spoilers. If you don't want to know anything, obviously don't listen to the segment until you see the movie. We are still going to do a non-spoiler section real quick. Okay. Just give our initial thoughts, what we think our opinions are in relation to the kind of hype that's going on out there. Right. Without getting into specifics, where did this movie fall for you guys? Ricardo, I'm going to defer to you first because I think you have... I think we might have differing opinions here. I liked it. It's all right. I don't think it had the impact and the weight a finale should I like the movies, I'll watch them. I'm not, like, very meticulous about the lore and everything. So I had fun. Watch it. If you like a Star War, you'll probably like this one. It's a Star War. It certainly is a Star War. Absolutely. And I I am a crazy person about, like, lore and extended universe things. And I actually really liked it. I went into it uh, having already seen the early critic reviews the day before and... My expectations were very tempered after, after having seen those, and I already ha- kind of had a strange attitude about it being the final installment of this numbered series, and I think that informed me a lot, because I was just happy to have a finite conclusion. Well, I mean, until they rebooted or whatever, but 
I don't know. I think it might be my favorite of this uh, sequel trilogy. I think really? it, I think I might need to rewatch them all back to back to get my real full opinion. But right now, I really liked it. It entertained me a lot. That's kind of the camp I'm in. I don't think I liked it quite as much as you did. But I think going in with lower expectations, like I was very excited to see this movie, but I don't know really what I expected from it helped me a lot. I think that I really appreciated the audacity of this movie to just go after so much camp and such a big scale because I was comparing the Last Jedi throne room scene to some of the sequences Mm -hmm. in this movie in my head and how sitting in the theater for Last Jedi, the throne room scene felt so exciting and so Mm -hmm. fresh and that this had the audacity to scale up that kind of conflict even more which I was really appreciative of. I do think there were some choices that I didn't like all the way, but overall, it worked for me. Like, I would say 80% of this movie worked for me. Yeah, sure, that's a good statistic to throw in there. There definitely had problems. I don't want to I don't want to have this be like Seamus thinks the best Star Wars movie is Rise of Skywalker, but overall, majority of this movie was definitely working for me. I think it kind of followed for me in the grand tradition of Return of the Jedi of not exactly sticking the landing but leaving me being like yeah good enough. (laughs) Yeah sure it's good enough. I think that's it. It's good enough. It didn't hit everything I wanted it to hit it hit some things I really didn't want it to hit but overall I think I'm pretty satisfied. I'm gonna say the hype is real. I agree. I think the hype is real. If you have any feelings towards Star Wars, just go and see it. Yeah. It is a Star Wars. Yeah, you keep going back to that, and I think that might be a pretty big uh, group of people having seen this movie. It is certainly a Star Wars. I think it is trying to be like a couple of different Star Wars at once. Yeah, maybe. Like, it's like three Star Wars crammed into one Star Wars. It, it is definitely cluttered. Yeah, I think that's what's getting me. There's just a lot. That, like that it's very it's in. very difficult to process, and I think all three of us are people who are good at seeing a movie once, kind of putting that little tape in our minds of what we saw, and being able to replay and go through it and think about mm-hmm. it analytically. And that's something, at least for me, that I have been for the last twelve hours grappling with. I've not really been able to place a lot of the stuff that I normally in a movie would already have sorted out. I'm going to see it again soon. I think it merits a rewatch just for, like you said, it kind of feels like a three-in-one. It almost feels like maybe they should have expanded the plot of this movie into what the trilogy should have been, maybe? I think that's another thing to talk about. Yeah, I, I think so. But So um, with that, let's go into spoilers. We This is an official spoiler warning. If you are listening past oh this point, we are spoiling the heck out of The Rise of Skywalker. Star Wars pew, Episode pew. Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. So, man, I can't believe Finn and Poe really do get together in the end. <laughs> that was the biggest spoiler. They looked like they were going to kiss, there was, right? Well, there was a... I thought they actually handled that relationship pretty well yeah. in that because if they had just gone for it, I think people would have complained till the end of time about that was just caving to, like, a very small percentage of the fan base. And, oh, da, da, da. Man, and this movie would never cave to a small amount of shippers <laughs> out there. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly oh what God, I'm yeah. saying. But I liked the balance of they had sexual tension. 
I think that is... They <laughs> gave us the wrong gay kiss, Star Wars. Oh, yeah, I, there's like, one in the background of... That, that That's in one shot that's completely yeah. independent that they'll be able to lift right out to the Chinese market. Exactly. And, They're just, just that, like, three-second snippet mm. of background footage. I... That made me angry. That's the fact that that was such. They made such a big marketing deal about it. They did. did the, they? they did the same thing for Beauty and the Beast. Oh, where that thing. they have the producers and the directors walk out and they're like, "There is a definitive gay moment in the new Disney property," and then you'd have that one thing that you yeah. can easily cut out for international markets. I guess then, you're right, technically. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I it, saw a tweet that was like, that guy hugging that weird s- slug creature got I more screen that. time than <laughs> that gay You're kiss not did. wrong. Who, who was that guy? They kept giving it him... A, it was a slug. No, the guy with the beard. He was like the rebellion oh, dude. Oh, snap? I'm talking about the guy who hugs the slug guy. Who's that? Oh, I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the guy you're talking about. He was like a little heavier. He had the thicker beard. Yeah, okay. I thought that's I'm talking about, talking about he was like skinnier, uh, like a little more of a chin strap beard. Oh, Charlie from Lost. Um, oh, well. God damn it. <laughs> JJ. Um, he's one of the hobbits in... Oh, that's why I know him. He's one of the hobbits in, in Lord of the Rings. In Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I don't remember... I'm not a Lord of the Rings person. Neither am I, but... But he's I, in Frodo. the... No, he's in the original not. Lord of the Same. Rings. He's not... No, not either of those guys. He's one of the other guys who's who's really... Gandalf. Into Dominic Monaghan is the actor's name. I know Dominic that. Dominic Monaghan. Oh, Mary and Pippin. Yeah, that's the pair of hobbits. Yeah, yeah, original. yeah. His name is Mary. He might be the one that's excited about the pints at the bar. I think that's. Fellowship. I think that's right. Yeah, I, I've oh, seen those movies one time. I've only seen the first one about a hundred times in multiple parts, but that's well, about it. Well, that will be a podcast. Yeah, for we'll, sure. do, we'll do the Lord of the Rings four months. Maybe like we'll, uh, maybe we'll have to do like a weird live stream Patreon thing where we watch all the extended I was editions. gonna say oh, the extended like four and a half hour oh, I love that actually I think it'd be fun but that dude he had more lines of dialogue than Billy Lord I do think that was weird I did like that early in the film when they were Livia Sopranoing Leia into the scenes that they did have a couple of lines together Mm-hmm. I really that was nice. I thought because of course Billy Lord is Carrie Fisher's mm-hmm. daughter in yeah. her life, so I thought that was a nice moment. I thought you guys want to talk about the Leia stuff real quick. Sure. Let's talk about Leia stuff. I think that that was handled overall pretty tastefully. Yeah, I thought some of it was a little clunky. The dialogue yeah. because it was like a non sequitorial, like kind of like I think they maybe could have done another pass at that dialogue. I'm just trying to smooth it out a little bit, but it's anticlimactic. And really? Just cause, I don't know. Just feel like the death of Leia, this huge character, would have a little more kind of gravitas to it. I really liked that scene in her actual. Okay, so her actual death scene, where Ben slash Kylo and Rey are on the wreckage of the second Death Star mm-hmm. on the planet whose name I don't know. It's not Endor's. It has its own name. Yeah, it does have... They say, like, we have to go back to the Endor system or whatever, but and it's then like it's like a ba- planet it's, that's... It's like it's not Baktu, but it's something like that. Yeah. Um, Exicle, or whatever it is. Exicle is the, the other planet? Yeah, that's the Sith planet. Exicle, right? Exicle, yeah. Alright, sure. <laughs> I'll remember that name. When Rey and Kylo 
are on the wreckage, and Leia is reaching out to him through the Force, and they have her really nicely in silhouette with holding Han's medal from the end of episode four and reaching out to her son. I thought that worked really well. And then at first I was confused about why her body didn't disappear because they make text very clearly in this movie that Leia is a Jedi, has the force. Like a trained Jedi Knight from her brother. Yes. In a very in a cool flashback sequence where they're they're doing like a, a lightsaber mm. sparring match in a forest. In the movie, I was excited enough that Ray called Leia master, but then they kept giving us no Leia was trained. Leia had a lightsaber, and then that Leia had a vision of what would happen to her son at the end of her Jedi path, and chose to sacrifice her becoming a true Jedi in order to help avoid that path for her son, which sounds noble, and I liked that angle on it of explaining why Leia wasn't a fully-fledged Jedi in the other movies. I thought that worked really nicely, and it was in keeping with Leia's character of a person who will sacrifice herself for the good of others. It happened anyway, though. Well, I mean, well, that's I mean, the whole, That's like, the force, man. Yeah, Anakin <laughs> tried to stop Padme getting killed, but that, you, we all know how that turned out. And I, I really, also, I really liked the uh, Leia Jedi stuff because it makes the Mary Poppins scene from uh, The Last Jedi make at least a little more sense in terms of, like, we know she has been trained to use the force, mm-hmm. and we don't really know specifically how, but... Now that we know that it's not just, like, a fluke of the Force that she could save herself, like, it feels better. Maybe that was me being, like, I wanted to see that, like, training sequence maybe earlier. I would have mm. felt better about it at the time. But now I'm I'm a lot more open to That's it. That's how I feel, is that I never had a problem with it, but I'm glad that if there are people that think that came out of nowhere, that now we kind of have this cohesion to that. Ricardo, before we went into spoilers, you were talking about you weren't sure that this is a cohesive trilogy and I agree with you, Mm. but I do think there are certain storylines and certain characters that do feel cohesive throughout the three, and Leia is one that really works for me in all three installments. As a leader, I think the evolution of General Leia is a really strong one, and I think one that people misconstrue as political because she's always been a military leader. Yeah, I mean, pretty much ever since she was like, I don't know how old she was supposed to be in A New Hope, but like she's she in the leader face. of the resistance. Yeah, yeah, like she's in the face of her planet being blown up from from the jump. And rewatching The Force Awakens in preparation for this movie with Annie, who had never seen any of them. Mm-hmm. What I really liked is there's an exchange between Han and Leia that I'd forgotten about where he says something along the lines of, we lost our son and I was scared, so I went back to what I was good at. And then she says, so did I. I think that's great, and that sums up that character really well, is that she's a natural-born leader and she's good at it. Yeah, I mean, and that comes very much full circle when we get, uh, oh, I mean... I, I guess we are jumping around spoiler-wise, but yeah. when her body does finally uh, assimilate with the Force or yeah. whatever we call it in tandem with... Ben's death. 
Yeah, I, I felt weird even saying that with the sacrifice that I guess we call him Ben Solo. It's like at the end of Jedi when it feels Vader like, is kind of Anakin again. I, it feels like that to me in that, like, I think that helps clarify when in the film or in the yeah, series okay. that we're talking about him. So I think most of the characters in this movie did feel cohesive to me in terms of, I thought Leia, mm. Ren, and Rey all felt like the natural endpoint to their arcs. I will say I do have some issues with Rey that we'll get into in a minute okay. in about how this movie complicates her arc in a way that is unfocused and that I don't care for as much. But I do think that overall they landed pretty smoothly. Finn has had a bumpier road. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think it's still all about commitment to an ideal and about sacrificing yourself for others going from somebody with nothing not a name not a family to a person who cares so deeply for others that there are multiple points throughout this franchise that he has been willing to sacrifice his life to help the resistance and to help Rey I think is a really strong arc that was again a little bumpy because he didn't get as much to do with the other characters Mm -hmm. in the last movie and he didn't get as much to do, period, in this mm-hmm, movie. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, to to bounce off that a little bit, there is this, uh, there's this specific part of the story in Rise of Skywalker where he, when they go to whatever unnamed planet and they meet that, like, tribe of deserter stormtroopers that are just like him, he kind of, he finds that uh, the hope and, like, the longevity of the his decisions... Hope? A new hope, if you will, of him getting to, like... He, he realizes he's his specific uh, role in the universe, he's not alone in that, where, like, other people kind of had that... What do they say in that? It's like, I had a feeling, like, when they told us to open up mm-hmm. on civilians. It's like, we all had the same feeling. I love Finn's admiration for the Force in this movie. Yeah. I love seeing non-Jedi talk about the Force, always. Mm-hmm. That's something that I really like about Star Wars that is not in a lot of it. But I liked Finn identifying his transition from Stormtrooper to who he is now as having been guided by the Force, that he was led in his journey by the Force to the people who he now considers his family. And I thought that was a really beautiful moment. I thought my favorite scene for him in this whole movie was that scene where he's talking with Jana. I think oh, the new character's I, I name is. Oh, I forgot her name. The only she reason I remember that is because she was at the celebration panel. Oh, cool. Okay, um, nice. And they were sitting on the Falcon having that conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, I uh, she was good. She I don't was. Remember I wish her. she had more to do. Yeah, me too. There was that really good scene with all of them together, though, where it's like, target their speeders, but sir, they're not using speeders. And then it's like... I kind of dug that. Yeah, <laughs> it was, was like, great. yeah, all riding out on the, the furry horned, yeah. like, Beasts on the Death Star wreckage. It was. I, I like that. Just I like the whole scrappy feelings. Like it's mm-hmm. the big, massive. Like I don't know. I was gonna say government control, but I don't know what they do exactly. The first. The first order. order. The first it's order. like government control they, stuff again. This honestly goes back to like old Republic lore of mm-hmm. like the the Mandalorian wars and the Jedi Order just being like. Uh, unresponsive and people having to step up and like create their own pseudo resistance to yeah. fight so it's the new republic and just under that 
There's the First Order, which is just a bunch of neo-Nazis. And then Leia's very frustrated. It's like, there are neo-Nazis and no one's doing anything about it. Yeah. I'm going to do something about it. And then they blow up the New Republic with Starkiller Base, which I love that they acknowledge, like, in this movie, we have Richard E. Grant's new character, General Price. I think so. It started with a P. Constantly berating General Hux and specifically calling out that the Starkiller base was a bad idea. Yeah, I, I really like that. Speaking of Hux, real quick, we can we can blow past this about as quick as they did it. <laughs> uh, General Price, Price, or whatever his name is, just almost like no look, just blasts Hux in the chest and blows him like across the deck of a, of a Star we Destroyer. We learn, I thought this was a great endpoint for this character who has not functioned very well in either of the first two films. I think it's a fitting end for this character. That he, it? it turns out that he is so spiteful towards Kylo Ren that he has been spying on the First Order for the Resistance and that as Chewbacca, Finn, and Poe have been captured on Kylo Ren's Star Destroyer, the firing squad is about to shoot them, but Hux saves them and reveals himself to be the spy and then he's immediately Killed for it. Yeah, like, he, he has, like, a very, a very loose ploy to be like, yeah, they just overpowered us and got away. And they shot me in the leg. Yeah, oh. and then just almost wordlessly just executed in front of everybody else. I like that he was the spy. I feel like it could have been a little more motivated by, like, I was, you know, higher up, and now the First Order is, like, becoming something that is, like, disgusting to me and no, I need to... I didn't need... He's a Nazi. I didn't hate that no, I, I thought that that really worked for me and I'm glad we didn't spend more time on it than we did. Yeah. Speaking of shooting people without looking, I know we're really jumping all over the place. Yeah. I know we usually try to go in order for these things but there's so much to cover in this movie that I think that this is just the freeform way that we have to discuss yeah, exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. There's a point towards the end when Ben is coming to save Rey from the clutches of the Emperor, which we have not even talked about. Oh my god. Oh, oh my yeah, the god. Emperor the Emperor is, is like the best You guys part remember of this movie. the Emperor? Well, he's back. It's but so good. There's a point where Ben is coming to save, or help Rey, save Rey, whatever you want to call it, and he runs through a hallway out into like a more open space, and he shoots two stormtroopers on his left, and then without looking back... Yeah to his right, shoots a stormtrooper behind him, which happens almost exactly in Force Awakens with Han, who oh. runs when the First Order is storming Maz Kanata's Oh yeah, I do remember this hole, part now. Yeah. safe house. <laughs> he, sh- he does almost the exact same move, but then checks behind him to see if he actually got the stormtrooper, <laughs> yeah. and has a moment of like, yes! <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I want to say, in that sequence with Kylo, or Ben, I guess at this point, he has a gun that resembles... Han's Han blaster. blaster so absolutely. I think that was definitely on purpose. There, there's a very definitive change of heart there. In he's in this movie. That's one of the few points where it's like, oh, oh, okay. I was surprised that they were able to not spoil that. I gotta say, in that dream sequence, hallucination, whatever it was, I legit it's thought like a he force. was CG for like three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it was Kylo's it's memory like, of his father incarnate, which is a like storytelling device to so that we can see his transition to becoming Ben again. I almost felt like it was like a pseudo force ghost kind of thing of like it, it was a lot of his memory but maybe like more manifest through the force. Like I think I, could, I read it that way as well. Yeah, it, it, it's a good it's a vision. There's a lot of visions in these movies so. especially in this there's a 
ton yeah. of visions in this movie. They, they bring back the thing where uh, Ray and Kylo have like a like force Skype with each other, where they're just like staring at each other, well, but they evolve it in a cool way. See, that was something that I really enjoyed. Is that in the first movie they are clearly connected through the force. In the second movie they can talk through the force, and in this movie they are simultaneously inhabiting two different spaces through the force that they are in physical contact with each other. They can, like, pass objects through yeah. the ether when of the force. she passes him Luke's oh, lightsaber, that yes. was cool. Yeah, there's, it, like, in that same sequence we were just talking about where he's, like, blasting people on his way and he gets cornered by, by his the Knights, Knights of, of Ren, Ren. Which were deployed very well in this movie. I yeah, think. I think so, too. They, they, they'll get their own Star Wars story, guaranteed. Oh, give, yeah. it, give it some years. There's a lot of source material that, there to work there's with. There's lots Is of that comics. who that was? <laughs> Yeah, those you didn't recognize them. It was like the cool like variations on the um, masks from and stuff. when they were mentioned in the first one, and they never used. And then you, did, Ricardo, you didn't love the incredibly subtle two stormtroopers standing as they walked by, going, "Hey, you see those guys? The Knights of Ren. They're so yeah, cool." Yeah, you guys remember the Knights of Ren from that other movie? From that one flash forward. They were. Why do they hear? Half of this movie is an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, and they were Tote and his cronies <laughs> from Raiders. Yeah, pretty much. They were there to be intimidating, and they had a, to have a good fight sequence. They're, pretty much. they're the they're the lower level bosses. Yeah. Before you get to the main. Before you get boss. to Glados Palpatine, where he's like yeah. attached <laughs> via giant computer. Harrison Ford, I think. They did a good job. He is trying a little bit more than he was trying in Force Awakens, which is nice because he's only here for one scene. I, I, I like think it I had Force a Awakens. theory about that of like he looks visually happier. Yes. To like just be there, and I think that's just because it's like in his heart he knows there's no chance he'll <laughs> ever have to come back and become Han Solo again. I thought that was a really good use. I didn't think it overstayed its welcome. Yeah. I was really happy with it. However, there is one thing that made me feel a little icky, which is I thought during the movie there is no way Harrison Ford agrees to do this if Carrie Fisher is still alive. Because that scene's all about Leia, and I know Leia's dead, but here's what you have to do to honor her. And because Damn, yeah. Because Kylo's all like, I can't go home, it's too late. And he's like, sure, Leia's gone, but what she stood for still stays. Yeah. And I was sitting there like, Maybe Harrison Ford wanted to come back because I know they were really close, but it did make me feel a little bit like this is corporatization capitalizing <laughs> on the death of his friend. Like, like they, they told him, like, you know your friend's dead, right? You know you have to come back and do this Don't scene. you want to honor Carrie's yeah, memory, it, it Harrison? Yeah, kind of like that for sure. I do want to know kind of what the story was about bringing him back. Let's talk yeah, Palpatine. It was one of my favorite parts of this movie, zombie Palpatine that's like also pseudo-cyborg. It, it did. It worked a lot for me. Maybe that was just Ian McDermott's just I don't know beautiful how I feel voice. About you, I think your biggest problem walking out of it, if I remember, was just like, like why and how is he alive after one being Everything. cast into like a bottomless pit and <laughs> then being exploded on a moon-sized star? Never talk about why he's at all alive. Why he's not little bitty pieces. Well, they, they reference that the dark side is a pathway to powers that many deem unnatural and that's kind of just the long and short of it is the dark side is strong at keeping people alive, What was I even guess. the point of Snoke? Just have Palpatine be there you from see, the beginning. I don't mind that. I like the idea of Palpatine's orchestration. I thought that mostly worked for me. I obviously, it is so clear that they did not have this in mind. No, in the absolutely last minute not. Here. 
in that it was them trying to figure out how we're we going to get the fans back on board yeah. and also how we're we going to make this feel more cohesive with the rest of the series. The thing about Palpatine's return that really, really was hard for me was I hate the rays of Palpatine. I, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I didn't mind it a lot just because it did seem like they intentionally left a lot of that out about, like, her parents and like the the son of Palpatine that was her father. When and did Palpatine have kids? When did well, that happen? It takes her story from being a story of a person who comes from nothing, grapples with morality and immorality of power, and then decides to go with morality. It takes it from that story to being a person who comes from a line of evil choosing to do the right thing and those are very different stories and for two movies her story has been about a person who comes from nothing and is grappling with the decisions of what comes from morality and power and in this movie it's about oh what if Hitler's granddaughter became became a good guy Yeah. yeah or Lady Hitler like what does she want to do what is in her blood that's charted territory for Star Wars. Mm. That is, that's, that's what all Luke, of Luke and oh, yeah. that's, stuff. that's all about Luke. And this was a new thing for us to grapple with. Yeah, I was about to say when you break it down in the two stories, I like both of those, and they don't fit well together. But now yeah. that you say, oh yeah, that's just Luke's arc. Yeah, I think, oh yeah, that's not as good now. <laughs> and I don't think there was any reason to have her be a Palpatine other than to like please the fan base because I think this movie could have worked more smoothly, more cohesively with her still being no one, and you could have just said Palpatine could feel that she was strong with the Force. That's all yeah, I needed. It could have like, just been, like, it, the same speech of, like, kill me and all of the Sith will be in you. Mm-hmm. That could have been the same if she was just a strong Force user or if she, even she was just a little more removed from Palpatine in general. I will say I got a bit... I, I got some goosies. I got, I got some <laughs> chills when he said take the throne, Empress Palpatine. And uh-huh. I was like, whoa, Empress Palpatine just has a ring that to was it. Cool. It does kind of good. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's a bad story. I'm just saying it's a less compelling story yeah. than the story that they were already telling. I will say that whichever one of those arcs that you're dealing with, or both in our case, what ultimately matters is the choice that she makes of who you choose to become. And I think everything about her after she makes her decision was incredibly well executed of reaching out to the Jedi of the past and hearing mm-hmm. their voices of Mace Windu, Yoda, Obi Wan, Qui Gon, Kanan, Ahsoka. Who's Freddie Prince Jr. in this movie? Kanan. Yeah, um, uh, he is, is the Jedi from Rebels. Yeah, he's got a ponytail and a cool lightsaber. He's pretty cool. I like that. That threw me for a loop when I saw Freddie Prince Jr. in the credits of this movie. <laughs> How do you think he feels about being up there with all the other Jedi? Like, because Ahsoka is like a fan favorite yeah. character, and it's also and also Kanan is here. I think let's close out our Rise of Skywalker conversation with the last scene. Oh, the last, uh, yeah. That gives the movie its title, and I thought was a very fitting end of this series. Ray returns to the Lars homestead. Yeah, the Lars moisture farm on Tatooine. From episode four. And buries Luke and Leia's lightsabers together. Luke and Leia appearing as force ghosts, like the twin sons of Tatooine. And also, that retroactively makes George Lucas look so much more yeah, brilliant than he <laughs> ever was. 
historically a genius now. Exactly. Because it ties that thematically just perfectly. I've always hated Luke and Leia being siblings, but this movie made that it count. That changed it for you. This yeah, movie man. made it count. Is it the sexual tension? Is that what you're it just, I just think it's stupid. <laughs> I don't think you need it. But this movie takes something and does something so much more interesting with it than any of the past Star Wars movies have done. Uh, and having them reflect those twin sons of Tatooine as Rey chooses her name to be Skywalker because it's not about who you're born as. It's not about coming from nothing. It's about who you choose to be and what you choose to do. I thought it summed up Star Wars very eloquently. I like that we got the tease of her double tilted lightsaber, but we didn't actually get to see it in full action. Which, it's the last movie. Why why not? (laughs) I mean, it worked for me in that this is the completion of her self-realization. We we had a conversation on the bus to the movie last night about how I have had a reappraisal of The Last Jedi. I always liked it, but rewatching it with Annie for this one, having not seen it since the theater, realizing how well-told Ray's journey of going from caring so deeply about who her parents are to realizing that it's all about who she chooses to be and her self-actualization throughout the course of The Last Jedi... Realizing it in this and having her craft a staff lightsaber as her final act of self-realization is a beautiful moment. And I, as messy and cluttered as this movie is, that completely connects for me. Yeah, I remember a lot of the promo about this movie was like, a lot of the people involved were like, prepare for the last shot. Like, the last shot's the most important shot of the entire trilogy of movies. It's, like, very important. And just, like, the... Let alone the design of her dope, like, black hilt. Like, almost, like, reminiscent of Darth Maul's stuff. Mm-hmm. She twists it on and it turns yellow. Uh, that that was the coolest thing to see on screen. Maybe it wasn't the most important shot of the entire trilogy, but it satisfied me in a way that... It felt complete, you know? Earlier in the movie, we have Rey kind of like, I will earn Luke's lightsaber as my own when my training is complete, and then it really comes to the to the full circle when it's... I've gotten to the point where I don't need to earn a different lightsaber. I've made my own and earned my spot as, like, a Jedi. I don't know. It, as it, a Skywalker. It, as a Skywalker, as she so aptly puts it. Real quick, also... There's a shot with BB-8 where the twin sons look, look like, like BB-8, BB-8. <laughs> and that made me smile. That's I don't about know it. Wh- I don't know why it's the movie, but I loved it. Uh, yeah, it was it was it's, nice. It's a tease for the BB-8 spin-off series. <laughs> BB-8's the real Rise of Skywalker. This the droids reboot that we've it's, all been looking yeah. for. Yeah, BB-8, Dio, and R2-D2 scrolling around the sand. So Caesar Repio could just go. He doesn't off, remember guess, anything like, except for everything until the last movie. So none yeah. of that. Matter. Yeah, that was a little bit of a bummer. I mean, I enjoyed having 3PO make a little bit of a sacrifice. I know, obviously, he wasn't going to stick around. Right. But I thought that was a nice way to kind of pay off his character of going from he's constantly a bother to, like, yeah, no, erase my memory because this is the Rebellion, baby. This is what it's all about. Yeah. yeah. I will say the whole taking one last look at my friends thing, though, is probably where that gets me in terms of it seems like he's making a bigger sacrifice than he is at the time. And I, I like a trailer line. I feel that, but they could, you could always take out trailer lines, you know, like that. They could have edited around that or just given him a different. He's a robot. You don't need to change the voice, like the mouth movement. You can just 
yeah. fit in something else, but I don't know. In the moment of it happening, I, I was feeling that sacrifice a lot. Annie was distraught. <laughs> I can imagine. that Because it's a, it's a pretty intense scene. There, oh, there's that little little alien guy who's tinkering. Who's voiced by somebody, and I was like, who? Really? What? I can't remember. I remember he, he does like a Fonzie A, yeah. like real high pitched. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, it's Moaning Myrtle. No, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, who is in everything British but Moaning Myrtle from Harry Potter. Here's the thing that I'm certain about. We're wrapping up our Rise of Skywalker conversation right now, but we will talk about this movie more on this podcast. Guaranteed. We will talk about this movie until the sun goes out, until <laughs> and then the other sun goes out. Yeah, I was going to say, ah, you beat me to it, damn you. Go see it. That's what I'll leave it on. Go see it. That's it. Seamus Ricardo, where's Riley? Oh boy, okay. I'm gonna he's, guess he's, he, he's seeing Star Wars. Right? Yeah, that's a, he's in line for Star Wars. How about that? He's in Chicagoland. Okay. Back home, Mount Prospect, at our home base, Jersey Mike's at Randhurst. Oh. <laughs> Does he work at that one too, or is he just he, he's always, visiting? He's always worked at that one, and then ah, he transfers up here I for see. when he's here at school. Oh, well. I am sure that when I. Get back to the sweet embrace of Arlington Heights. I will make the trek over and have a Riley made Jersey Mike sub. I was going to say, I've never had Jersey Mike's, but if I ever do, I want it to be made by Riley. Now it's time for Mando Bros, the part of the show where we break down the latest episode of The Mandalorian. We unfortunately will not be able to cover next week's episode right after it happens, which is the season finale, but we will be getting that to you in our very next episode that we record. So how about it, fellas? What an episode. I know I, I literally say, it's like, more wow, every week. But it's like, we see Baby Yoda. I'm going to just go ahead and connect this back to the movie we were just yes. talking about yeah. real quick. He uses the force healing power that we don't see on screen until uh, Rise of Skywalker. So literally 24 hours before Rise of Skywalker came out is <laughs> the first time that they used yeah. this I, in universe. It's and... definitely, like, it's a thing in universe, like, in general as a force power, but we've never, like, seen, seen it. it happen. So I was pretty happy with two examples of that back to back. That is that is Disney's corporate synergy firing on all yeah, cylinders. For real. This is what that is. That I'm is... just, am I... Am I trapped? Have they got me, Garrett? <laughs> yeah, like they, I, I, I can't, I can't escape now. Chance Disney owns this podcast. I, I, I reveal my barcode tattoo that just like <laughs> puts me in the asset vault of Disney. No, but I thought that worked really well. I liked Baby Yoda using his Force powers. Let's break down this episode really quick about how it's structured because it's a pretty simple premise. The idea is Carl Weathers. Reveals he's alive, reaches out to the Mandalorian. This is what we saw muddled in the last episode when Zero, the droid, mm-hmm. was seeing a transmission coming through on the Razor Crest. Carl Weathers wants the Mandalorian to come back to the home base planet for this series, where he has set up a meeting with Werner Herzog so that they together can kill Werner Herzog, because Werner Herzog has turned this town, this city, into basically a police state. Yeah. That's run by stormtroopers. And Carl Weathers is not having any of it. So it's time to assemble the team. Yeah, yeah. He he strikes a deal with Mando, and Mando goes out. He gathers Kara from the previous episodes of the... I was mistaken. Is is an ex-Republic shock trooper. Yeah, that's what I thought. I 
do not understand how that works in continuity, but we are not going to take the time to figure it out right yeah. now. Yeah, Republic soldier, real special, got in trouble for something and is on the run now. Yeah. That's, that's really all you need. And um, then we have the return of Queel, we learn is his Queel, name. Yeah. Nick Nolte Ugnot. Love him. Who loves his blurgs. And he had... <laughs> blurgs. Yeah, I love that. We learn that after the events of the first couple episodes, Queel went and recovered IG-11 from where the Mandalorian shot and left him. Ugnots have a very special connection to technology. They are very, like, almost nursing yeah. of technology. And so we see a flashback of him sweetly rekindling IG-11 back to life yeah, like and basically retraining him. Nursing him to health, uh-huh. it would seem. It's very, it's very nice to see that. Because I'm very glad that I was right that we weren't done with IG-11, and I love that this is his reintroduction of, like... He's serving them tea. He's like a good boy now, and he's gonna he's gonna be around for a while. I think it's beautiful. But we do learn that he's programmed to defend, but he cannot attack. Yeah, which, which I like that. That's gonna be a lot of fun when he's got like a baby Bjorn with baby Yoda on mm-hmm. his chest, and is just like doing the spinny gun thing. And we deal more explicitly with the Mandalorian's dislike of droids, which Queel dismisses, and he's like. Droids are just a reflection of whoever programmed them. Droids are not inherently good or evil, and that your bias towards droids is unfounded, but the Mandalorian's yeah, kind of like, I'm racist. not having any of that. Like, sorry, droids killed my parents and entire <laughs> planet, so screw you, Ugnot. We get to Carl Weathers. Yeah, there's there's a ploy it turns originally. Out he's a droid. Oh, I I that's almost my guess for the Mandalorian helmet reveal, but that's ridiculous. Oh, that could be interesting. Like he doesn't trust droids because they can tell that he's not. Nah, that's that, I don't know. Every this is off topic, but every so often during Rise of Skywalker, I would turn over to Seamus whenever they had a line about Rey being who she is. I would just turn over, it's because she's part droid. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. The commentary during that movie was interesting, <laughs> I'll tell you. But I don't know. We get, like, Carl Weathers has, like, a ploy to kill the Mandalorian and take the baby originally, but when he sees the healing powers, when man- he gets hurt... They get attacked by some, like... Space dragons? Like, pterodactyl <laughs> things that, like, rip... Uh, At first I thought there were Minox, and I, I'm like, Minox don't do that. Yeah. And we don't really get a good look at them. No, it's a, it's another, like, nighttime action sequence for budgetary reasons, no yeah. doubt, but it looked really good, and Carl Weathers gets hurt and is incidentally healed by Baby Yoda, and that gives him this big change of heart before they go through with this mission. Also... Queel is so sad when the Blurgs get caught. He's so sad. Yeah. And I was so sad because <laughs> Queel was sad. Queel is one of my favorite characters. and uh, uh, Well, Seamus, I've got some bad Yeah, <laughs> damn it. It's. I mean, we get this. Are we just going to... Let's just do it, right? Well, okay, so they have a new plan. They regroup. They're going to go with the empty, closed cradle, the Mandalorian, Kara, and Carl Weathers. And Queel is taking Baby Yoda back to the Razor Crest to like hide out. And eventually when there's an ambush, he his job is to get there and take off, just protect Baby Yoda at all costs. Yep. Things seem like they're going okay in the cantina until <laughs> Werner Herzog gets a phone call 
that he has to take from Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah, he gets a phone call from a freaking blaster bolt through his chest that totally <laughs> Xs him out of the equation. I was shocked. Seamus was watching the last 10 minutes with me, <laughs> and I was like, whoa! Yeah, I, I was taken aback, but I was like, hell yeah. This is what the Wild West is in the galaxy right now. Like, no one is safe from anyone. Like, it's, it's ready to go at any point. The Mandalorian, Kara, and Carl Weathers are all cornered by dozens yeah, of like stormtroopers and, storm and a squad of death troopers. Always love to see the death troopers back. I wanted to hear their like super scrambly voices again, yeah. but we'll probably get In a little bit of that episode. next episode. Yeah. And this is actually the sequence they revealed at Star Wars Celebration. We didn't know what sequence it was, but I'm certain that this is it based on the, fo- the photos that they showed and the number of stormtroopers. They for budgetary reasons, could not get the number of stormtroopers that John Favreau wanted in this episode, so they called in the 501st, which is the legion of fan stormtroopers that oh. all build their own armor, and they were like, we need 60 stormtroopers in this location tomorrow, can you do that? And they were like, yeah. And it looks great. It's they really look cool. Yeah, they have all this, like, professionally crafted, like, like they're just independent cosplay enthusiasts, mm-hmm. I guess. But, they, I mean, but it's a huge organization. Yeah. And they have a day at Star Wars Celebration where they all like storm the oh, convention center. That's great. And, and, and I didn't know that that was what was going on that day. So it's wild to walk into <laughs> McCormick Place, freaking out like they're here. They found <laughs> they're taking us. Taking over the back. <laughs> it's the Second Order. Crazy thing to see in real life. But it was really cool that they were able to incorporate the enthusiasm of the Star Wars fan base to feed back into the quality of a new Star Wars property. I think the new frontier of the Mandalorian is going to outshine Rise of Skywalker tenfold by the time next season comes around, but that's just my opinion. But while all of our friends are holed up back in the cantina with all their stormtrooper threats, some scout troopers on bikes not only take Baby Yoda, pour one out for our lost friend Queel and his Blurg. I was about to say Queel and his Blurg. He would have been more upset <laughs> about that death of his Blurg than his own demise, and it's so sad. Blurg. Blurg indeed. Ugh. Rest in peace, Nick Nolte. We hardly <laughs> knew ye. Yeah. And, oh, that, and, that, and that, I mean, at that point, that's like the cliffhanger is all our main guys are pinned... Uh, Baby Yoda is taken and Queel is dead. And it's it's not looking great, but we have one last episode to go that's going to be... I can't wait to see it's gonna what be incredible. this season finale brings us. This show has got its hooks in more <laughs> yeah. movie franchise ever has. Honestly, it's starting to become my favorite Star Wars property of anything right now. And I, I think, you know, if they keep up on it, I might have to officially make that my stance. Well, we'll see you guys in a couple weeks for season one finale of The Mandalorian. Now it's time to save the rec center. Seamus, what do you got? This is a newer thing. I'm not actually sure when it came out, but it's a Netflix original Christmas movie, Klaus. It made me cry. It it was incredible. Animation was on point. It's been on my list for a while. All the voice acting is fantastic. It's Jason Schwartzman in the lead as the mail carrier man. Oh, I didn't know that. Who plays Santa? Oh, God, now I'm forgetting. It's someone important, I'm pretty sure. It's, it's a pretty good cast, because I know, uh, I think Rashida Jones is the teacher character, and uh, Norm MacDonald is the wise-ass <laughs> boat captain. I know nothing about it. Um, it's uh, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons, oh. yeah, I, I knew it was someone big. It's the best 
new Christmas movie I've seen in years. Well, it's fantastic. Seamus, I still have to sit you down and watch Arthur, Arthur Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> when I think that I haven't even seen Klaus, but that sounds like a great pairing. Arthur a gu- Christmas double feature? That would be great. Regardless, both of you, you appreciate good animation. It's fantastic. Ricardo, what's your rec center? Boom! It's 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 on television right now. It's brand new. It's uh, it's Steven Universe Future. <laughs> How many rec centers are you gonna have that are just Steven Universe things? I've had one. <laughs> I had the movie. Okay, Ricardo. This is the epilogue sequel series. <laughs> <laughs> Because Steven's really leaning into the whole, it's basically an anime. It's got the same structure as an anime. Sounds good to me. I Someday I will get around to it. It's fun. It's cool. Just I like the progression it has because everything's already been established. Main complex kind of been wrapped up. We just get to sit with these characters for a while and kind of tie up any loose ends. It's fun. My rec center is... I'm just going to keep it on brand for this episode. I have been watching Star Wars Rebels on Disney Plus because I just can't get enough Star Wars right now. It's really good. It's not perfect, and it's probably objectively not as good as The Clone Wars, but the thing that I like about it is I get really bored with The Clone Wars because Mm -hmm. I don't care about half of the storylines, and it's all over the place. The thing that's really comfortable about Rebels is it's the same characters every week, and Is it not the same characters on the Clone Wars? Well, on the Clone Wars, it's we're going to do a Darth Maul episode, or we're going to do a Night Sisters episode, or we're going to do Anakin episode, or we're going to do Plo what, Koon. What is a Night Sister? Uh, Asajj Ventress is from a tribe of witches that live on a weird red forest planet. Excuse me? And they're called the Night Sisters. What is adventurous? There are witches? It's a crazy show. It's worth watching, The Clone Wars. I'm not trying to knock The Clone Wars. That could be a rec center into itself. But, like, Rebels, I think, is more cohesive, and it's easier to just kind of watch an episode. I also like the way it plays into the established in-universe stuff. Uh, Like it's set after Hope? It's set before Hope. It's the spark of the rebellion. Like, they'll eventually Mm. grow to be the rebellion. And so... Slowly, you see different aspects of the rebellion that you're familiar with get folded oh, in. Right that now, cool. I'd watch I, that. I just finished season one. Darth Vader just showed up. Hey, so pretty cool. It's really good. I think the characters are charming. It ties in a little bit to Rise of Skywalker. There are some clues in Rise of Skywalker that harken back to Rebels. I think it's worth a watch. It's on Disney Plus. It's never been available on streaming before. Oh, okay. So that's why I'm only watching it now. I've wanted to watch it since it started. Is Rebels over? Rebels is over. It ended last year. So it has like a definitive ending. Okay. There is some stuff from Clone Wars that kind of works its way in to Rebels. So mm-hmm. if you have a basic understanding of the mechanics of Clone Wars, like who the primary yeah. characters are. I only ask, isn't there like a new? Oh, there's Resistance. That sounds like the same show. It's about the Resistance pilots from the new series. So, like, the same show. It's supposed to be really bad. Oh, no. Yeah, it's supposed to be terrible. But, yeah, Star Wars Rebels on Disney+. Plus. It's giving you your Star Wars fix. It ties in yeah. pretty well to different stuff. They've got, you know, Lando makes an appearance. They've got R2-D2 and C-3PO. It ties Star Tours the ride <laughs> in canon I'm not kidding. Captain Rex is there. He's there. Voiced by Paul Rubens. That's fun. It's great. 
So yeah, watch it. Uh, other than that, we will see you guys uh, in January. This is the end of season one. This is the end of season one. This is the, this is the end of season one of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but before we leave you guys, don't think that we forgot to do our pop culture reference of the episode because our last pop culture reference of our 2019 season is Cliffhanger.